Hello and welcome to Pursuit of Infinity, a podcast where we explore the depths of human consciousness and delve into the fascinating world of psychedelics. As in this week's episode, we've been covering a lot of UFO and UAP-related topics as of late, but there's a reason for that. Not only is it super interesting in general, but the beauty of this topic is that it necessitates a profound re-examination of the ingrained paradigms that shape our perspective in virtually every facet of life. This includes both physical and non-physical reality when we take into consideration the technological implications as well as its relation to consciousness. The way I see it, the inevitable convergence of science and spirituality is essential to forge a fresh cultural narrative and toolkit for comprehending the new reality that we are discovering. The prospect of this convergence ignites a captivating blend of curiosity and excitement within me and I really hope it does the same for you too. But before we get to it, as always, you can visit our website, pursuitofinfinity.com, where you can not only listen to the pod through our integrated media player, but also find all the places you can follow us. If you want to support the show, we really appreciate a follow, a sub, a five-star rating, and a review. These things really help to boost our standing in the algorithms as well as the hearts and minds of our peers. Also in the description to this episode and all of our episodes, you'll find a link to a Discord server invite. Within the server, there are several chat channels that anyone can join, so come on over and be a part of the discussion. But we also have some patron-only channels that are extra special, including channels dedicated to mycology, giveaways, live streams, and more. If you are an avid listener, and you want to show the show some extra support, you can head over to patreon.com slash pursuit of infinity to become a patron, and you'll get some great stuff in return. So head on over there for the details. And before I forget, we have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at pursuit of infinity. All of our episodes are always posted there in video format, as well as an array of shorts that we've been putting together on a regular basis. Now, with all of that out of the way, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Oh, you know what I was listening to on the way up here? Uh, Avi Loeb was on PBD's podcast. Oh, I have to see that. I yeah. didn't, I didn't see that yet. Cuz I've never heard PBD if for anybody who doesn't know Patrick Bet David. He's usually a guy that talks about entrepreneurship and politics. I've never heard him talk about aliens or UFOs. Well, real quick, let me interject. You're not going to believe this that he had Stephen Greer on. PBD did? Yeah. When? He did it over uh like Zoom. It was like maybe a couple of years ago though. Oh, I see. I just found it in the archives like a little more recently, but he was like into it, yeah. But oh. he had Stephen Greer on um on this podcast. Pretty interesting. That's great. Yeah, it's interesting to hear a guy like that talk to somebody who's involved with the UFO field because when you hear Avi Loeb on a podcast, at least some of the ones that we listen to, it's usually people who are steeped in this stuff. But to hear a layman sort of go into stuff about UFOs and Muamua and all that shit is pretty cool. And it's funny, the first thing he, he, he says in the podcast, he opens it up by saying, now I'm not the kind of guy that does mushrooms or, does, or smokes weed or any of that, but you guys might want to strap in and, and uh, use this, this episode as, as your first time because, you know, it's some wild shit we get into. And That's pretty cool. awesome. 
Well, yeah, Avi Loeb is the he's the head of that the Galileo project. So he's like a Harvard physicist or something. He's just like this brilliant dude. But they're running the Galileo project, which is su- like supposed to be a civilian run operation to investigate UA- UAP. So supposedly through their investigations, they're going to release everything. So it's not like a, a wall of government in front of you. But, you know, who knows? But did you, I'm sure they probably talked about this on that podcast, but did you hear about that discovery that was just made, that he made? Was it the flat object that was in the sky that they're they're seeing that um, the way that the sun reflects off of this object, it is as if it's flat and the the sunlight itself is moving this this object, right? Well, that's, yeah, that's a muamua, which is like, he speculates it could be like uh, some type of alien technology, like could be ancient and just floating around out there because the way it moves. And like you mentioned, it kind of looks like the way it's moving could be through like solar sails um, and it changes direction. So there's like a lot of weirdness around that object. Um, but that's not, there's like a newer thing that he, he was into. I'm not like super informed on it, but um. But yeah, Amuamua is what got him pretty much into this. And he caught a lot of flack for kind of speculating that it could be, you know, something from another solar system. Like it came into our solar system and it doesn't have like the traditional traits of like a, you know, just like a, any other space rock. But recently they've been talking about, um, so at some point there was an object that was tracked that hit earth and it hit the ocean and it was i guess like traveling at a a a ridiculous speed and so he initially speculated like okay this he looked at everything about it and said this doesn't make sense to be something from our solar system this must have come out of our solar system and hit our planet which is we've never actually observed any material from outside of our solar system, believe it or not. We've never had that happen. I mean, our solar system is humongous. Like, think about it. So he said, okay, this could be some alien tech. This could be, you know, they're thinking outside the box. And he said, okay, we tracked this thing coming in. It hit the ocean. And so we know where it is. So we're going to go look for it. And everybody that follows, like, UFOs, everyone in UFO community is like, okay, well, that's just stupid because if it is a UFO, it's, got, it's not going to be waiting for you in that same spot in the ocean. Um, but he was like, you know, he doesn't listen to any of that. He's like, we're going to look for it. So they used, like, a ton of resources to find this. And turns out just very recently they found something in that spot. And it's not like... Uh, it's a material that they have confirmed is outside that originated from outside of our solar system. So it is regardless of alien tech or anything. It's like a massive discovery because we've never analyzed the material from outside the solar system. So they looked at it and it's just this very strange material and he showed it on camera. Like he has like little pieces of it in a little like test tube and it's weird. It's like these little metallic balls. Like they are like little tiny spheres. And so this is like 
real new. This is like a pretty new discovery. So they are like still analyzing it, still don't know what it is, still like, you know, it's just brand new. But what he has speculated on it is like that this could be a manufactured material. So it may not, it may have some type of strange alien origin. So it's some weird metamaterial, which is often associated with UFOs, like when people recover material from a supposed crash, like they get these strange metals with like, uh, weird isotope ratios that don't occur in nature and would cost billions of dollars to create it by humans. And even if we did create these metamaterials, we don't understand currently what the purpose would be to do that. Why would we invest billions of dollars to create a piece of metal that we don't understand the, the capabilities of? So this, uh, but yeah, they found this stuff and so far, you know, there's, still going to be more info coming out about it but that was avi Loeb's like newest stuff i heard him talk about with the galileo project yeah i think he goes into that a little bit i'm only about a half hour into the episode and i think right in the beginning they did mention that soon he has a big announcement to make which i'm i'm assuming is part of the identification of this metal i guess they found it in the pacific ocean uh and he had described how they use microscopes, essentially, to understand more about the outside, the universe, space, which is pretty cool because you would think that when you dive deep into the ocean, you find a material and you're using like a little, you know, something that measures the tiny, you wouldn't really get much of an insight about what's out there. But in this circumstance, that's what you're going to get. And I love this because... It's not just us waiting for our government to disclose information to us. And it's not us looking up in the sky and wondering when we're going to see something. This is an actual scientist who doesn't work for the government, who is trying to open source or outsource uh, the research of this material. Like you said, he's going to be releasing this stuff to the public. It's, there, there's no congressional wall in between the information and us. Yeah, dude, the the Galileo project is pretty awesome, actually. Um, it's like Lou Elizondo is involved in it. Uh, so there's like a lot of interesting people involved. And it's, you know, you hear Avi Loeb talk about this, and he rarely ever speaks of kind of what's going on right now in the UFO conversation, like entities visiting Earth. He's always interested in things like Amuamua, for instance, like objects that are tangible. Um, he, he's And like, for instance, something that hit the planet and went in the water. He doesn't really talk about like UFOs flying around. He's just kind of looking for new materials, things like that. So his aspect in the Galileo project is more, you know, as you would guess, like physical science based, just not too much looking for Tic Tacs flying around the skies. But also the cool thing about the Galileo project is from what I understand, they are setting sensors up and like high tech equipment and all over the earth in like certain areas, like just pretty much the best equipment you could use to, you know, kind of catch a UFO. Because like, for instance, one of the like you hear a lot of people complain about like the military videos, like the FLIR videos of these UFOs and people are like, 
just unsatisfied with it. But what they're not realizing is, or just not really paying any attention to, is that these are weapon systems. These aren't scientific instruments on these airplanes, the things that are catching these UFOs in military scenarios. So people have to understand that in these instances, we're going to be limited because these aircraft aren't scientific instruments. They're battle weapons. They're used to destroy. And so what they're doing now at the Galileo Project is actually using scientific instruments. So whatever they do gather from that should be more full of information. It should be it should just be better info than, you know, because our fighter pilots, you know, we're sitting here like we want to know more, but they're not out there with scientific instruments trying to gather info on this stuff. So the Galileo project is pretty awesome, but something that uh, there's like a little red flag about it is that not too long ago, um, I think it was Avi Loeb with the Galileo project put out a paper a scientific paper with Sean, Sean Kirkpatrick, I think his name's Sean, Sean Kirkpatrick, who is the uh, head of the Arrow program, which is a government-led program. And they put out a paper together about the possibility of there being like a mothership outside the solar system or somewhere that sends um, like drones to our planet to observe us there was no like um it was purely theoretical so it wasn't like a uh them saying like this is what's happening some people took it like that with the headlines that were put out but personally i get a little weird feeling when hearing the galileo project teaming up with kirkpatrick because right now he has a lot of uh like bad air floating around him by the way he's reacted to the hearings and the whistleblowers, there's been a lot of um, negative feedback from whistleblowers about Arrow. So the Galileo Project seems fantastic, and I hope that they kind of stick to their word and release data and, you know, remain completely open with the public. But if there's some links to the government there, it's not great. And that's the problem. This is a scientific issue. This shouldn't be a military issue. The fact that Arrow is a Pentagon military-industrial complex program, to me, is just a problem. This isn't something that we should be handling with our military. It should be something that our scientists are, are looking into, and that would lead to it being shared to the public. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be this, uh, this national security guise that they like to, to hide behind uh, when they talk about whether or not they're going to release information that was gathered via our tax dollars to us. They say, oh, this is national security. Because I feel like they're looking at it from the perspective of trying to defend against something. More than likely, they're looking into whether or not these things are from China, Russia, other superpowers in the world, as opposed to uh, curiosity driving the discovery of something that could be, you know, more magical or mystical or uh, just out of our realm of possibility that we would normally think of. But that's why I am on board with the Galileo Project, because, again, it's funded um, not by our tax dollars. There is no government incentive uh, to keep it quiet because there's no government control or oversight. This is strictly through Harvard, right? I mean, I think it's like even it's just broader than that but probably i know avi Loeb is a harvard guy so 
I don't know specifically, but like I said, Lou Elizondo is involved. There's a lot of, I think even like Nick Pope is involved. I'm not 100% sure about that, but there are, you know, a lot of interesting people involved with it. Um, and like you mentioned a minute ago, like that you like it because they're looking at it from the scientific angle. But see, mainly what we're getting is kind of what you mentioned, why we're hearing this threat narrative so much is because we are being fed in the public, not so much of the scientific angle. We're looking at it through the military angle, the military disclosure. And so naturally, it's in the military's interest to, you know, promote, not he doesn't have to promote, but look into a threat narrative. It's their job. That's their, their frame of mind. You're not going to, when you have government Pentagon programs looking into something, they're not going to be looking at it through a spiritual aspect or a scientific aspect. They're looking to see what it is. Is it a threat? If it isn't a threat, how do we get it? How do we manipulate it to create weaponry and defense systems, things like that? But so we're getting a very limited aspect of the topic, like of UFOs. We're just getting basically a military disclosure, which is pretty untrustworthy and very limited in scope of how they're looking at it and analyzing it. Whereas there are so many angles to look at it, like you just said with the Galileo project, it's the scientific angle, which is, you know, one step better. But then I think the next angle to look at it, which would be, I think the most important is like the spiritual angle. What does it mean? Like ontologically. So I think slowly we will have to move toward that eventually. The, I mean, it's interesting you see the Vatican taking steps and looking at this, too. So, like, there are so many different angles to look at this subject and analyze it. And it seems in America we are basically hyper-focused on just the one way, the military way, the threat narrative. Yeah, I always think about this through the terms of spirituality and religions and ways of thinking that have been cultivated over thousands and thousands of years and whether or not the whole phenomenon could delegitimize certain modes of spiritual thought. And that is sort of a scary thought to me as well, because I do feel very comfortable within the spiritual path and spiritual beliefs that I have witnessed and felt and am educating myself in. And it would be really interesting, not necessarily bad, but interesting to me how my beliefs would change and what trajectory my life would take and a lot of other people's lives would take if the UFO, UAP, uh, non-human intelligence phenomenon sort of delegitimizes religion. But it almost feels to me like it will create a new religion uh, maybe it'll create more of a unified religion between people and hopefully shed some light on some of the things that our limited biological form uh, can't discover or can't see. And I like you just said, like how it could create a new religion. Well, uh, Diana Pasolka, who is a... Uh, religious studies professor, that's the angle that she's looking at this as. Like, she actually views this when she entered the topic of UFOs. She was a, guess, non-believer. She was, like, just a religious studies professor. And she looked at this topic and found it very interesting and said, this is 
the modern religion. This is a new belief system. It has its Mecca of Roswell. It has everything that a religion has. And then the deeper that she looked into it, she found some tangibility to it. And now forward uh, a book or two later, she's a believer in the topic, but she still holds those uh, beliefs linking it to a religion because you can't really doubt that. It is. It has all aspects of a religion. And so she started even looking back through, you know, religions of the past, like, you know, Christianity, Catholicism, all that. And what she determined was that it could be possible that this modern UFO religion is, they're all the same religion, that they were all actually looking at the same thing and describing it in different ways through whatever lens the culture was at the time. So, because there's like uh, some very strange encounters in the bible and like basically all religions that you could look at and kind of determine as non-human intelligence or aliens whatever you want to call it like even in uh islam they have the jinn which is like kind of exactly what the phenomenon displays as like it just seems like it's talking directly about the phenomenon so this could be something one singular thing that's been with us forever that we've been observing and creating religions around at least aspects of it. There's one religious mode of thought, though, that is counter to a lot of the things that are related to um, or related between Western religions uh, and the UFO phenomenon. And to me, that's shamanism. I've been doing a deep, deep dive on shamanism through the Blue Morpho Academy, and I just, I, I don't know where this type of phenomenon would intersect with the shamanic modes of thought because we're currently looking at disclosure from the perspective of nuts and bolts, what's here physically, what we can see in the sky, what we can touch, what certain companies have been able to maybe back engineer, but we really don't know if there's any relationship between these things and consciousness, any relationship between these things and whatever is on the flip side of this reality, the, the thing that maybe like the, the place you go when you die, call it soul land or something like that. And I wonder if there's any relation between those things. And if we're going to get any answers as to, as to what it might be. See, and this is this is one of the things that I absolutely love about this topic. Like, see, I look at it sometimes in a way as it, it being a teacher. This phenomenon is like almost teaching us a thing. Because like you said, it's like we're looking at the nuts and bolts version of this. And like, how does it fall in with shamanism and the spiritual and the non-physical? And I think it's it's blending the lines between mind and matter. That necessarily that physicality is mind. So it, 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 it presents itself in a way that like it would be mind-blowing to see something in front of you that seems like it's an aspect of consciousness, but it leaves behind, quote-unquote, physical matter, the nuts and bolts, the craft. So it's like, I think it is teaching like a metaphysical lesson in a sense. Maybe it's not its intent, but it, I think that could be its effect on us, that as human beings, we could learn about the metaphysical nature of reality through this topic.
by seeing this and it's showing us something that shouldn't exist in our current paradigm, our understanding of a quote-unquote material world. So I think by studying this, it could really shift our entire paradigm and release us from the physicalist paradigm into a more idealist, transcendent uh, me mental reality. So it would blend, like, you know, blend the nuts and bolts with the consciousness aspect, and then you get consciousness, basically, that all is consciousness, essentially. So I think that, kind of said it a little weird, but I think that this could be, like, it could teach us a very essential lesson about reality, rather, because it doesn't, if it is what we think it is, if, it, if it's a real thing that people are seeing behave this way, it doesn't fit into our current understanding of reality at all. Um, and, you know, the phenomenon is broader than just UFOs and physical craft. People see impossible things, and then these impossible things often leave physical traces. So it is blending those two lines, in my opinion. I think it could teach that lesson to transcend mind and matter to capital M mind. It opens up and extends the possible questions we can ask in terms of defining what reality is because it blows everything to pieces. Because if, if something can travel at breakneck speeds, turn on a dime and do some of the craziness that we're seeing these uh, UFOs do, then that begs the question, what's the technology? And if we do have that type of technology, and if we can even define what that, te that technology is, it breaks apart the current scientific paradigm that we've been brought up under, which has been based in a foundation of space-time. And if you can manipulate gravity, as they say, then what is space-time? Space-time is a—it kind of falls apart as a fundamental property of the universe, or at least it falls apart— as a fundamental property of reality. Because what this also does is it brings to question dimensionality. Uh, I've heard a really, really interesting explanation of the way that these non-human intelligences, non-human organisms, whatever you'd like to call them, uh, sort of project their higher dimensional form onto our lower dimension. If you're standing somewhere in the sun, you project your shadow onto the ground, which is a two-dimensional surface. It's almost like you're projecting your image onto a two-dimensional plane. So if you use the same type of rationale, you could say a higher-dimensional being, a higher-dimensional whatever, it's hard to even say what it is because we, we define things based off of shape and size and all of that. So it's hard, it's hard to even put a, a label on it. But whatever this thing might be in a higher dimension could be casting its shadow onto our dimension. And what I like to think of it as is if you go into a psychedelic experience, if you smoke DMT, you take a high enough dose of psilocybin, you may or may not come into contact with an entity. And when you come into contact with an entity, it's almost as if you're going into their world, into their reality. So you're seeing them for who they are, for what they are in their truest form. And they look fucking wild, indescribable, ineffable. We consider them even reflections of deities. So if you think of it like that, and then you say, well, maybe that's a higher dimension. Maybe the DMT dimension is a higher dimension. 
So if they were to cast their shadow as that weird, crazy-looking thing into our dimension, it might show up as something we can identify, something that looks humanoid like a gray alien or something that looks like a, an airplane, like a flying saucer. These things are very reminiscent of biological things that we can see on our planet as well as physically created nuts and bolts things uh, that have come from the human mind. So to me, that's a pretty interesting way of, of thinking about it. I like that. It sounds cool. It's a bit romantic, but I like it. And if, you know, something like that were the case, and it would be safe to say that what we're seeing isn't all of the thing itself. I mean, you could say that for just about everything, we're limited to our perceptions and our senses. But when, you know, you see, let's say a UFO, you see the object, you're only seeing what the shadow that it's casting into the third dimension. So you're not seeing the entirety of what it is. You're only seeing as much as you can, basically. And as much as it can show in our realm. And there, this kind of, to me, fits with some experiences that people have said to have where, you know, experiencers who have said to been taken aboard craft, this has, you know, been reported multiple times, you know, many times enough that you would take note of it that sometimes, um, you know, a craft would be, you know, the size of, like, you know, maybe a large truck or something, and they get taken into it, and then on the inside, it appears to be, like, the size of a warehouse. So that would, I think, somewhat align with the idea that what we're seeing isn't the actual thing, the full thing itself. We're not seeing all its dimensions, all its size, because, you know, people who have experiences with them, their experiences are what we would consider impossible, going inside a small object and being in a large space. So I kind of lean toward what you're saying and it being extra dimensional. I just, I don't see it being as simple as, you know, physical, quote unquote, physical aliens coming from a different planet. And especially because, let's say, if that were the case, I would imagine these things would be so intelligent that they would understand the aspects of uh, uh, space-time, where, like, we as human beings understand quite a bit. I mean, maybe not, but from what we do understand, we know that it's not a—it's proven to not be fundamental. So it is relative. And <clears throat> so even saying, you know, a planet that would be so far away— technically isn't everything would exist in one space basically because there is only one really so i could see them looking at reality in an entirely different way where distance isn't actually an obstacle so maybe that's how they would have technology to just i don't know what you would call like a wormhole something like that but either way they would have to be to get here to show what they have shown us they'd have to be so highly advanced that they would not be bound by our idea of space-time. And you'd have to think that they would have a grasp on consciousness and what that is, and they'd probably have a deeper grasp of what you just said uh, and what we like to say often as uh, this whole thing being one. So I would think they would have 
a deeper understanding of what that means, a deeper understanding of our connection to everything, of their connection to us, their connection, our connection to them, uh, maybe their connection to Earth. And this is why I don't think there's a sense of malevolence coming from them. You know, this, uh, this whole notion that they're a threat. Again, you said that this is because it's coming from the military. And I think that's exactly right. We have a military mindset in this country. Uh, and all of the superpowers of the world have a military mindset because we have to. We've got to defend ourselves and all this. And it's a big, giant mess. But why would an extra-dimensional or higher-intelligent being have the same notion of reality? I don't think it would, especially if it has a deeper understanding of what it means to be connected as one. So for me, I'm really, really like excited and hopeful in terms of what this could mean for the potential of our growth as people, our, our, you know, our, our spiritual understanding. A lot of the researchers that are knee-deep in this stuff are working for defense contractors. Then that leads me to think if there is contact, if, like, say there is an organization of beings, whether it be from another planet, another dimension, that has the ability or is trying to communicate with us, who is the human ambassador for what we're presenting? Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> I want to actually throw like a little curveball at the malevolent thing because I think about this too and it's like, because my initial instinct is to agree and say, if they are so enlightened and advanced, then they would... Why would they be malevolent? And then I think about what we consider malevolence. So I think what is happening in reality, what reality does, what it's doing, even if it takes a step backwards, it's always taking two steps forward. So I think it's consistently we're moving toward a unity. And I think that would be the absolute good, unity. So I think there could be many, many different methods to get there that we might consider malevolent, but it's still moving toward a unity. And like this is like you could even look at it in our world right now what's happening when you look at like the World Economic Forum, right? Klaus Schwab. They want to do all this one world government stuff that we consider malevolent. It's not good for us in our senses, but... That is one half of the way to move toward a unity. What they are doing is trying to move toward a unity. So it is still in the absolute good to move together as one, even by force. So I think that there is a polar sense from our perspective that there, are, there will always be a good way and a bad way to do the ultimate good, which would be move toward the unity. And I think what you see happening in, on Earth right now is a perfect example of that. Like we have a battle happening for unity and how we get there with the World Economic Forum and, you know, globalists being what most people would consider malevolent, they are still working towards the absolute good of a unity. So that either way, we could consider whatever method they choose to move toward unity, whatever our part is in a non-human intelligence's role you know, it could be considered malevolent by us, 
You know what I mean? So what I consider malevolent. So let's say we do one of those exercises where you have malevolent on one side and benevolent on the other side. And you list a bunch of words that would go with each of them that would make sense. So we'll say some of the words that we would put under the malevolent side would be greed, corruption, nonsensical violence, hierarchical oppression. And then on the other side, the benevolent side, you have things like love, unity, wisdom, beauty, things like that. Those to me are the two polarities of benevolent and malevolent. When you look at what matters to the people who are running the World Economic Forum, you can say, yes, you know, they're going toward the ultimate good, which is unity in a certain way. But what's motivating them? What are their goals? Where would you put them on the, on, on the malevolent or benevolent side? On, you know, on, what, on what list do you, do you put the World Economic Forum? And to me, you know, they, they feed on greed, oppression, corruption, lies, all that kind of stuff. So I do think it matters what your intentions are, what your goals are in terms of whether or not you could be considered malevolent or benevolent. I don't think it's just unity because you can have different types of unity. And I think that if you describe the, the contents of that unity or the aspects of that unity, then you can get to the bottom of whether or not it's malevolent or benevolent. Well, I would say like that they're not really lying. They've actually been laying out exactly what they want to do. And I would say from their perspective, it is not malevolent. It's only malevolent to us because it affects what we protect most, which is our, our survival. We think it's going to harm our survival. But in the grand scheme of things, it could be the right thing because it's bringing us toward unity. Well, lies were only one of the things in that list. What about the corruption, the oppression? There's lots of different things that they are adhering to that would go under that, well, that what is What is the corruption? Well, using the government as a, as a tool to pass legislation the same way massive corporations have always done. And also uh, the defense contractors, but the way that they, they abuse uh, war. We get into wars that our government lies to us about in order to get us into this war just to perpetuate the production of uh, these weapons. So to me, that there's so much in there um, that you have to identify as malevolent. But all that stuff happens regardless of the goal of, like, for instance, the World Economic Forum. See, when, when the action of war takes place, the end result isn't always going to be unity, but sometimes it is. And even so, like I said, it, we only view it as malevolent because of our initial, our ego, our survival. But even, let's say, you know, two countries go to war, eventually, you know, they many times will just become one. And I think we get so wrapped up in the hum, human side of it, just our, our idea of what's good for our survival and what's not. And But I think the end goal is always going to be the same no matter how we get there. It's still all just pushing toward unity, whichever way it happens, whether it's good for your life or what you consider good for your life or not. I don't see them as, I see them as totally relative to 
the person sitting there speaking about it, basically. So that's what I mean. You could, I guarantee you, I could find plenty of people who are totally down for the World Economic Forum, for the 15-minute cities, for the, the their actions on climate change, for all this stuff. There's plenty of people who think that's the ultimate good. It's just totally relative. So that's what I'm saying. There could be uh, a force of a non-human intelligence that threatens your immediate survival so you say that's malevolent but in the end nothing is really malevolent because it's all going to move toward a unity that's kind of what my point was i i understand that but i'm not basing um malevolence off of the potential for the danger in my life what i'm basing malevolence off of our motivations, are the true nature of what you're doing, the the true nature of how you're doing it. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure a million times you've heard, you know, the some form of the expression. It's not about the end goal; it's about the journey, how you get there. That's the details. The devil is in the details, and to me, it's super important, uh, especially for something that's not an animal. You know, we we harbor a high level of consciousness and i think that we need to take responsibility for that high level of consciousness and that's where the the malevolence comes in and i don't think that a higher being would have the motivations that would lead them to take the same types of approaches as the world economic forum i think they would take an approach that is more uh, deeply rooted in wisdom, in conservation of nature, conservation of the soul, the spirit, things like that. Because that whole thing, that entire side is missing from the World Economic Forum types. I would say that that's totally relative. My point was basically that there actually is no malevolence. If you can line up thousands and thousands of people that will argue you to death about that and say that your perspective is the malevolence and the World Economic Forum is going to save the planet, you know, it's it's not, there is actually no malevolence. There's only you creating the malevolence by pointing at it and saying that's what it is. Really, it is, my point would be, it is regardless always going to be good for somebody and good for usually large majorities of people. And it's, that is because it will move toward a unity. So I think the same thing, basically, I kind of use the World Economic Forum as an example, but it's supercharged, so maybe it's not the best example. But I could see uh, uh, something of a different species, of a different kind than us, easily falling into a category of that sort, where it has a good so much higher than our, our ability to acknowledge that we might not understand the, the moves to get there, that we think, oh, that's bad, but they are so far above us. Like, for instance, I think we've talked about this before, like considering, you know, kind of speaking in physicalist terms, like imagine that um, the, instead of using the word God or something, saying the mind of the universe if the mind of the universe is always moving toward good, if that mind throws a rock at the earth, it doesn't make the mind malevolent because the mind moving toward good knows what's best more than us little organisms on the rock, on the planet. So that's kind of what I was trying to get at through a higher mind possibly using us in a way 
toward a greater good that we can't even possibly understand to be the greater good. Sure, sure. And and again, philosophically, I totally get what you're saying. But I, I think that to just say, well, that's relative, and then that's the end of it. I don't think that's a, an honest representation of the importance of what I'm trying to say that these beings would be if they were malevolent or benevolent. Because the fact of the matter is, there's going to be some some degree of malevolence or benevolence in a being that has consciousness. There, there, there's got to be something. And if you take a look at humans, I think we're a good example of it. We are, we're a balance. It's almost like we're, we're moving more toward benevolence as we, as we grow and as we evolve consciously. But when you think about the way that we treat other biological entities on this planet you can you can see when we treat things in a way that leads to disaster to chaos there's always malevolent intent behind those actions but when we do things to say conserve nature save uh a particular species from something you know we when, when we do things that add to the planet that add growth, you can see that those things are motivated by benevolent motivations. So I think that they're still super important to consider. Um, and, you know, I, I hear the, the Elon Musk thing where he talks about AI, where he's like, oh, you know, if there's an anthill in the middle of a, a spot that we want to pave a road, that anthill is going to be no more. We're going to pave right over that thing. Um, but again, you could trace that back to malevolence. You could trace that back to uh, unin uninformed populace making a decision based off of uh, capital gain or something like that. Where, whereas I don't think that those type of value systems would translate to a higher dimensional being. But like, even when you do the benevolent act of giving a loved one some flowers, you still you killed the flowers, so that's a malevolent act to the flower. Um, so that's why I'm saying the relativity of it. I don't think our idea of it could be like absolute, because all I'm saying is your initial point was that you didn't see how they could be malevolent, and I was just making the point of throwing a curveball, saying I could see a, an easy way that we could consider them malevolent without them actually being malevolent. That's kind of all I'm getting at. I'm not saying that um, that they have to be either one. I'm just saying it. that all depends on what we decide them to be, really. That's, that's just my perspective on it. I agree with what you said. On the, the surface of it, I feel the same way. I was just kind of playing a devil's advocate and saying, well, maybe they would, maybe we could interpret them as being malevolent when they're actually not, and we just can't understand it. I 100% agree. Philosophically, yeah. I could 100% see that as being but, something we could find ourselves in. Yeah, but if I were going to bet on it, I would go with your bet and say, most likely, they would at least have some alignment with that good that we attach ourselves, the higher good, and hopefully recognize that in us and not use us in some... Uh, strange way that we don't understand that we would consider definitely 
malevolent. But the point basically, it's all good. We're moving to the unity, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but also, you know, a a counterpoint to mine would be just because they're a higher level of consciousness doesn't mean that they're gonna be benevolent. That's just my rosy glasses, uh, my my rose colored glasses way of looking at things. They could have a higher level of consciousness and a higher degree of violence and a higher degree of uh, of insanity or something. Who knows? We have no idea, no conception of what they could possibly be. But just the way that I look at it, again, you know, it seems like we're both taking the bet that they're probably more benevolent because they might be more wise. But you never know, man. But and that's the thing. Like, even if, you know, they show up and they were like what we consider full blown malevolent. They don't think they are, you know what I mean? So it that's kind of the relative part of it. So who knows? Um, but let's hope they're not, because if like some higher uh intelligence were to come here with some like uh malicious intent, that would be the ultimate hell. I think about this too, because People often say when you're interested in the UFO topic or aliens or just another uh, non-human intelligence here, they're like, oh, you're just saying this because you want to believe. Like, that's a, a thing you hear a lot. And I'm sure that's the case with a lot of people, but I think that's the case with a lot of people who don't really think about it that hard. Because I don't know if I want to believe, because I'm not convinced that they will absolutely be benevolent. And... I am convinced that they are absolutely benevolent, which th that regardless, we're moving towards the unity, but they could be some sneaky, you know, like archons manipulating our minds. Like it could be something very horrifying to a human being. You know, it, it's not just like, oh, I want to believe they're here because if they are here, they could be so doing something that we would consider very sinister. So it's I don't think it's as simple as like, oh, I just want to believe it's it's cool to believe. I think the more you think about it, there could be a lot of sinister undertones of what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, man, at every level of life, there's manipulation. Uh, there's whatever the um, opposite of a symbiotic relationship is. I'm not sure the word. But for us to think that stops with us and above, uh, probably not. And, you know, we always talk about like, People talk about, oh, well, the government is, like, hiding it from us. It's like, ah, fuck the government. Why are they hiding this? But beyond that, if they are here, they are hiding from us. It's up to them. So that's a little freaky. That's a little sneaky that these things are just hiding from us but still here. So, like, you know, it could go uh, many different ways. Or... They're trying really, really hard to communicate with the ants on Earth because, if, again, me and you talk about this quite a bit. If we were to try to communicate a point to an ant, we could not do it. As hard as we tried, we could not get into that ant's head, share its consciousness, and transmit the ideas through language or whatever. So maybe it's really difficult for a higher dimensional being to tell us what it's trying to tell us or even to show itself to us, it's always possible. And let's say, you know, because you hear stories of experiencers who say that they have had direct communication. And then they, they have, like, a lot of them will have what they would consider basically a spiritual experience with an entity and having a direct communication. But let's say these things are here and communicating with certain people. We can't trust them necessarily. Like, we 
can't know if they're telling us the truth. Um, it's like, for instance, like with your dog, like if your dog is outside, doesn't want to come in and you're like, I need to get this dog inside. You're like, Oh, come on. I'm, I got a snack. You want to go get a snack? And then the dog will follow you in. And maybe you just don't have snacks at that time. So it could be, uh, a lot of trickery happening. You never know. Um, with the phenomenon in general, there seems to be a trickster aspect that's known and talked about a lot. Like for instance, with the skinwalker ranch stuff or just many aspects of it. Um, cause the paranormal kind of fall into this as well. It all kind of blends into what people call the phenomenon. And a lot of these unexplainable experiences people have and strange things that happen tend to have a trickster like experience or aspect to it. And even the same goes for a lot of like uh, DMT experiences. There seems to be a little bit of a trickster aspect that people experience. So this thing, it, it bleeds out into so many uh, different areas. So it's hard to grasp all of it and make even one definitive comment. <laughs> I love the trickster aspect too, because that's one of the things that merges all of these interesting topics together. Everything that's mysterious in this world has a trickster aspect to it. All of the things that we love, spirituality, DMT, mushrooms, you know, uh, even spiritual teachers and spiritual gurus, they all have this like trickster nature to them. So again, to me, it almost leads to wisdom. Like all of the wisdom in this reality seems to have that little trickster aspect of, of it. And to me, that's like a it's poking fun at the seriousness that is the material world that we're taking so seriously. And yeah, even like, um, reality itself it ha is like a trickster because like the paradoxical nature of it, you know, the, just the strange loopiness, the, the paradox that is reality is like a trickster in its, in, at its core. It's like, you can't escape it. Because, like, a paradox is kind of, like, the embodiment of a trickster, in a sense. And I think, you know, that that is basically another thing that is basically fundamental to our reality. I agree. Everything is paradox. Yeah. It all is. And it's all a cosmic giggle. Have you heard that yes, before? The yeah. cosmic giggle. That rings so true, especially when you start to go down these wisdom traditions or have a psychedelic experience. Um, you know, the fun part about some of these psychedelic experiences is that they're like so bad sometimes, but then they go up this roller coaster of being so good. And that in itself is like a trickster thing because it's like you could be caught in this hell, but then all it takes is a little tweak of the brain or a, maybe you put on some different music and then it becomes something beautiful. That to me is a trickster in itself and also a paradox. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've had, you know, I think most people who have had a psychedelic experience recognize that, especially for me, I haven't necessarily had the trickster element in DMT yet, but I've definitely had it with mushrooms, uh, like multiple times. And I don't want to actually say that I've never had it with DMT because the weird thing is like my first two DMT experiences I can't quite remember them. It's strange. Like, I, I, for some reason, the first two are like a blur. It, I don't know. Could have been there. Yeah, mushrooms gives me the trickster archetype every, every time, especially when it's a deep, deep experience. It seems the deeper it goes, the more 
carnival-like it gets. It's very odd. And even saying the more carnival it gets, like it, it doesn't quite grasp it, but it really is that like jestery, trickster uh, personality and visual nature. The nature of the visuals are very carnival-like. There's a lot of bright colors and the patterns, the way that they move. It's almost as if like we extracted the idea of carnivals and like a circus from the psychedelic experience. Yeah, that's what I was just uh, I was just gonna say. It's like uh, what came first, and I I have a feeling that you know because when you think about like for instance like clowns, jesters, and their attire, a carnival, everything about it, um, it's been around so long for us that when we think of it, we just think it's something we've always had. But the idea, the core came from somewhere. We had to pull it from something and manifest it in our re- in our physical realm. So, and this stuff has been around for quite a while. And I would argue that we probably, people probably had these tremendously powerful experiences and to celebrate, wanted to bring it into our reality. Like they wanted, like, you know, carnival is a celebration. It's like a, a festive thing you know so i would i wouldn't doubt that that's where it came from people having these experiences and then replicating it and having you know because with a clown with a jester people dress up like it and they embody a trickster they play they're you know they they laugh they trick you all that so i wouldn't doubt that's what happened and these experiences are very celebratory a lot of times, and a lot of times they are so hilarious, so funny. A lot of the aspects of the trip itself, while you're going through it, again, has that trickster nature to it, to where it's almost like the intelligence behind the mushroom, say, is playing tricks on you. They're playing jokes on you in, in, in order to, to teach you something or to show you something. Um, and think about it. I mean, almost every time you take mushrooms, there's at least a a small portion that you spend just laughing hysterically. There's yeah. a, there's a, a, a deep humor to these things. It's like, uh, it's like you've never laughed before. It's like, this is the funniest thing that has ever happened. <laughs> My fiance and I, we always kind of joke with each other and say like, we each have a mushroom laugh. Uh, it's like a pure joy infant laugh that, we don't even know how to do anymore unless we're under the influence of a psychedelic. Yeah, I could like you get laughing so hard that it's painful, and then you're like, I'm laughing so hard, and then you want to like you just start laughing harder and harder. And you know, back to the uh trickster thing, too, it's like as I mentioned before, that this phenomenon we'll call it the phenomenon as a whole, like the paranormal aspect of it, too. Like when you think of like a uh, poltergeist, like things just floating or being thrown around a house, like that is like an ultimate trickster, and just but like as humans in our like regular state, it strikes fear in us, like so you just get so scared, and then it it kind of what they say is it kind of vamps up the trickster aspect. The more that you people say, the more that you react to that type of thing, the more you'll get it. Like if if you um see a uh, book on a bookshelf move and if you get terrified of it it might fly off the wall at you people who've had like a poltergeist experiences but if you don't react it depending on how you react will change how the phenomenon reacts and it's interesting because that 
that makes me wonder like how much of the physical and non-physical world is influenced by our intention i mean some people would say like it absolutely is like like every aspect of it and i think in a sense even like in a purely logical sense it kind of has to be because no matter what happens intention comes first it's like a it it's an automatic you have to have intention there's never an intentionless action if that's a word but yeah so i mean and i think you know people will swear by like focusing on intention will bring about results and i think that makes sense i mean if you are you know just going through life without acknowledging your intentions then maybe you'll get uh you won't get the best results whereas if you focus wholeheartedly on the intention just by its nature you will be you know moving toward it further and harder i guess that's why if you have a psychedelic experience within a setting of ceremony then it's very important to have an intention especially if you go in there and it gets crazy and it's all wild it does help to have an intention to ground you and set you on the path toward healing if that's your goal or even if your goal is exploration safe exploration and my um psychedelic trips from like my teenage years versus like the last few years have been night and day purely based on intention and knowledge gained through those intentions. So, you know, when you, that's why I, I have a, like a pretty firm belief that over half the people who've taken psychedelics don't, haven't really taken psychedelics because I know this from my experience. Cause when I have taken psychedelics as a teenager and young adult as with my intention to just have fun, it's not the same thing as when you twist that intention into something deeper, like metaphysical or something just deep within yourself. It changes the experience a thousand percent. I mean, regardless, you can have beautiful experiences, but it's not even close to the same thing. The intention changes it one thousand percent. Yeah, intention is everything. And that's why, again, I go back to what is the intention of these goddamn ufo alien things well that's what like freaks me out when i like start to think about it like um for instance like we're seeing a lot of these um they're just like metal orbs that just float they're like a couple meters they're like anywhere from i think like a beach ball to a couple meters not massive just these uh these solid metal metallic orbs that just float around and, you know, move around whatever. There's the Mosul orb. There's a photo of one that was released called the Mosul orb taken in Mosul, Iraq. And it was over a combat zone, which is interesting. And I'm seeing more and more of these. And even Kirkpatrick, he released a video of one with Arrow. They released a video of one. And he made the comment that these are actually being seen a lot. Like these are probably one of the most common ones that people are seeing or are being captured by military at least or at least the one that will that they will tell us about but when you think about it just like these mysterious orbs just like floating there like not doing anything necessarily it's like it's not obvious to us that it's doing a specific task it's just like sitting there watching it kind of like just gives me like truman show vibes like there's like it 
there's like we we saw something you're not supposed to like you caught a camera in the sky like and it's like what is this world what are these things doing and it kind of goes possibly into like the zoo hypothesis which is basically that we humans are like a another species zoo that they are watching over us our caretakers in a sense which you know could be it's a popular hypothesis but that could be one of the things that they're doing here is you know we are their garden perhaps i don't know i mean at absolute least it seems to be obvious that they've taken an interest in us and are are observing us in some way yeah and i mean according to a lot of people that especially you know back anywhere from i would say probably especially like 70s 80s 90s is when like abductions were happening all the time like not i don't want to say all the time but at an extremely increased rate like you don't hear about it as much anymore and almost every person with the abduction experience describes the same thing which was basically there was a uh, hybridization aspect to it that it would involve taking a woman's eggs or a man's sperm and creating hybrid beings and it's interesting because this was thousands of abductees saying the same exact story before the internet before it was like super popular it was it was just like everybody saying the same thing and then it kind of just stopped which i find really interesting do you think that we are some sort of creation of a higher being or some sort of uh result of a hybridization project so the more and more i've been like going into this and thinking about it i at the moment, I'm leaning toward yes, because I I think our entire history has been, like, a lie. The story that we are living in now was curated, and I don't think it was our actual human history. Like, there's a lot of evidence that when, uh, that the Romans basically destroyed the past, like, they destroyed all this Egyptian stuff and things before that, and created a entire new mythology, a total new religion, and... They were the rulers, so they told their version of the past, and and then, you know, we live based on that narrative, which I don't think is actually true. Like, uh, even, like, the, the stories of, like, the Bible are symbols that we live by today. We are, are flipped and reversed. Like, back thousands and thousands of years ago, like, the Sumerians, all these ancient cultures— they viewed the serpent as feminine and divine and actually like the eagle as more masculine warlike. And we switched that in our symbolism where now, you know, you have the evil snake in the Garden of Eden. It's the evil. It's the, everything serpent related in our modern culture, Christianity, all that is related to uh, a negative aspect. And, you know, we all fly the the eagle and you know it's something we kind of worship and aspire to and even it's interesting because when the the spaniards conquered uh south america like the ancients in south america they worshipped back in this time they were still like the remnants of the incas and aztecs they still worshipped the serpent the spaniards came over there conquered them and now what do you see on the mexican flag you see an eagle having a serpent in its in its claws so it's like they reversed even just the symbolism i think there's a lot of that type of thing that happened 
through uh, colonization of some sorts. Basically, that flag is an FU saying, we conquered you, we destroyed your symbolism, your culture. This is what's true now. And I think that goes even far deeper than we can imagine, like, as far as ancient cultures. And the reason I bring this up is because if you look into, like, all these super ancient tablets, it talks about gods walking among men at certain periods. And it's basically in the deep past describing the story of humanity being created by higher entities that at one point did walk among men. So I think... It's some of the stuff is very convincing that that something like this did happen in our past and we're living in some type of just story that was created for us and we just take it as the truth. Yeah, it's super compelling. And this is what happens when you have a void left by lies. As you said, you know, one of the most common things throughout history is when one dynasty is conquered by another the conquering dynasty tends to destroy all artifacts, culture, any, any type of, of cultural remnant of, of who was prior. And that goes for countries, civilizations, and tribes throughout all parts of the world. I mean, the Spanish Inquisition, the burning of the Library of Alexandria, the... Uh, the abolition of the mysteries of Eleusis, you know, all these types of things, uh, they snuffed out so many of the psychedelic religions that were permeating through Mexico, the Mazatecs and all of these. I mean, now they're, they're so tiny and minuscule compared to what they previously were. I mean, they were the ones who were ruling the, the world of, of, of mysticism and religion because that's where their roots were, in my opinion. It seems that the roots of civilization are so, so deep in the spiritual world. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, I mean, we're basically living, I think after uh, the Roman Empire, I think we're living from that paradigm. And I think even what we do know about like the Incas and the Aztecs and their shamanism and their type of culture, I think the we only know a small, tiny aspect. We saw them at... What we know of them was them at their depletion uh, when they were, you know, they were struggling and they were doing the human sacrifices because they didn't know what else to do. Um, I think that our history goes even like far deeper than that, like even before what we would call Atlantis, where there was a peak human civilization of what you're describing, mysticism of just a, a totally different mindset. And I think that's totally been erased. And when, before when you said this, I, it made me think of uh, Norm MacDonald. He said, uh, this isn't verbatim, but he basically said, like, isn't it funny that in history, the good guys always win? Amazing. <laughs> and it's, think about it. I mean, yeah. we owe everybody, oh, they were good and they won. They were good and they won. It's like, I think about this, and it, it is really like we are, it's just, we're living in some goofy story. Like, we... To even for an instant think that we know even the relative truth about even our our near past, even just World War One, just even that we don't know. We just take what is in the book and and call it truth. You know anything? So I think it that the human story is probably very fantastical and different than uh, than what we could imagine. And maybe in the past, I think 
because you know we we think about ourselves like human origins is such a big deal and we find these artifacts talking about human origins from like tens of thousands of years ago and it has it actually like written out in these languages that aren't even we don't even speak but people were human beings were intelligent so we can decipher this stuff and make sense of it and human origins are are written down and we just say myth that's nothing it's just a myth it's all symbolism there's nothing true in there it's just this is a symbol for that this is a symbol for this meanwhile we have half of our symbols backwards today versus their original intent so i think like with those sumerian texts i think there's like a lot of interesting stuff behind some of that that's why i love the uap topic because it forces us to contend with all of the major questions all of the major pillars of our reality all the things that we think are solid all the things that we think are real everything we've ever been told taught learned all of it is put into question with this topic and i think that's the beauty of it i totally agree and i think like like you were saying it, it touches so many things everything basically and for me the things that that like i think are going to be really important if this could ever be allowed to play out or if we ever make it uh, further in this topic is basically the metaphysics that will come with it and the human history our our origins who we are i think um those are like a two giant things that could be start to be questioned more when uh the the further we dive deep into this topic not to mention the massive changes in society that the technology will most likely bring. Yep. It's just scary to think, you know, if, you know, David Crush is telling the truth and we already have it, if we have these technologies, I mean, who knows? I think according to Grush, he says that we are not uh, able to recreate it, but guaranteed that we are able to use it to advance. But I don't. I think he says that we haven't been able to totally recreate it. But they say that like fiber optics was one of the technologies. Uh, some of our laser tech happened to come through some of these uh, reverse engineering programs. Yeah, it's like they they're coming from incremental discoveries as a result of trying to back engineer these things, but. It doesn't seem that we have the capability to fully grasp and harness the power of what this technology is. But if you listen to Stephen Greer, he would say otherwise. He does claim that we have the ability to do some pretty outrageous things. Yeah, he does. He says that the uh, gray aliens are human-made, that they are like human-made robots. Um it's interesting because there's such a dichotomy there, like with these uh, different narratives. And it, there's so much trickery going on. It's just, it's so hard to know what to believe because both ends are very extreme. And that's why lately I've kind of um, taken a deeper interest in the past and kind of what I could link to that because that is that stuff is literally written in stone. And this stuff, everything that's happening now, it's like sometimes I'll hear Greer talk and I'll think, okay, that sounds like it could align with the truth and then he'll say something else and it's like he says it so confidently but it sounds so ridiculous and i just don't know if i can believe it but you know really he's the main guy talking about the consciousness aspect of it too so i, I like that aspect of it 
Whereas, you know, you have the other end, the Elizondo, the military disclosure, where they totally, for the most part, publicly ignore the consciousness aspect of it, focus strictly on nuts and bolts, techno- uh, technology, nothing to do with uh, the metaphysical, ontological impact that this will have. So it's, of course, it's got to be divided like that. Yeah, it's a packed field, man. Yeah. And the the result of that packed field is, seems to be that a lot of these people are like, talking shit on the other camps. You know, you have the Greer camp where he talks a lot of smack on Lou Elizondo. He says that Lou Elizondo is a disinformation agent. And I think he might even claim that Elizondo doesn't even know he's a, dif- a, a disinformation agent. Is that is that right? He might. I don't know if he says that, but honestly, that you mentioned that, I think that would probably be the most likely, that he doesn't... Uh, that he's being probably used if he was um, a disinformation agent. I mean, I think it's not the best use of someone to make them act and, uh, like, uh, be a disinformation agent agent consciously. I think it'd be easier to feed someone false information and make them believe they're on the right track and give them permission to release certain things, and that way they are believable because they believe what they're doing. So that could be true. I mean... Hard to say. But um, I wanted to mention, too, just lastly before we wrap up, was with uh, David Grush, the whistleblower. He, What's happening right now in the news is that he has been slandered. So The Intercept is a magazine which ironically was founded on whistleblowers. The Intercept was a, a, a publication that was founded by, this is a safe place for whistleblowers to come, and we will report what you have to say. Fast forward a couple years, the original founders are gone, and now they're putting out a hit piece on David Grush. And what they're saying is that he has PTSD. They put out basically an article that has really no purpose. It's basically just saying this guy has PTSD and he was an alcoholic. And it doesn't really put any context to it. It's just like pretty much a defini- definition of a hit piece. It and even in the uh, News Nation interview that David Grush gave to Ross Coulthart, he already mentioned that he had PTSD. So he said that publicly. But this guy that wrote this Intercept article, I guess, FOIA'd Freedom of Information Act, his medical records, and got a hold of his medical records and found the alcoholism and PTSD. And he talked to other people in the Bureau, which, if you ask me, sound like they might be the other side of this that are trying to keep him shut up and make him an example so more whistleblowers don't come forward. But there are other people in these agencies that gave this uh, writer of the article information about Grush, and it doesn't really give any context to um, these conditions. Well, Grush is claimed to um, got over his PTSD, got treatment for it. He's no longer an alcoholic, doesn't drink, this and that. But it's just interesting to see that finally start to happen because for a while, there was nothing bad you can say about the man. Everybody was saying, oh, he's highly credentialed. He's a hero. He's in intelligence agencies. He was in Iraq and the Air Force. He was just all this good stuff about him. So it seems like he actually is squeaky clean, and those are the only things that they can prod at him with. And I think the purpose of that would be 
try to publicly shame somebody to hopefully make other whistleblowers second guess coming out publicly. In this day and age, they just tried character assassination as opposed to actually delegitimizing his points. Yeah. And it good thing um, is that it doesn't seem to be working at all. I mean, everybody sees through it, especially because the way it was written, it was so blatantly a hit piece. It doesn't give any uh, context to his conditions. It doesn't speak about at all how he got over those conditions. So it's 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 pretty pathetic, honestly, when you look into it. But yeah, I figured that was worth mentioning because that's like kind of brand new right now. Thankfully, like I said, it didn't seem to work. But so now supposedly that they are saying that they might have 40 firsthand witnesses to these crash retrieval programs and uh, reverse engineering programs that they have, I, I think, 40 people that are willing to come forward. And now that it seems like this attempt on the attack of Grush didn't seem to really have the effect that the attackers desired. It seems like in the near future, we should be having some more of these whistleblowers come forward. And these are the guys who actually were in crash retrieval programs and actually were working on reverse engineering craft. Man, this stuff is so interesting. I, I can't wait. Even though it is a slow trickle, I just, I can't wait for the next bite.